Well, if you have your Bible, you can uh, turn it to Psalm chapter 1, really easy to find, really easy to find, Psalm chapter 1. And I'm, I'm really excited to share, uh, share this with you uh, today. Um, uh, we're going to be, begin a new series called Pathways of Victory. Can I just testify a little bit? You know, last week uh, over our Easter weekend, especially in this service, thank you to everybody who uh, came to second service last week on Easter. Um, you were uh, in this room and you were overflowing everywhere uh, in this service. And, uh, but I, that's not what I'm celebrating. I'm not celebrating those numbers. Here's what I'm celebrating. 11 people making brand new decisions for Christ last week. So great uh, that we get to see people who begin to walk in victory. And really, Easter is all about the victory. You say, what is the victory connected to Easter? It is this. It is victory over death, hell, and the grave. Jesus is alive and he came out of the grave. And listen, those who place faith in him, we have victory over death. We have victory. We live in eternal life. So believers are meant to walk in victory. We really are meant to walk in victory. But, um, you know, there's a lot going on in culture right now. And it seems like if you, if you watch any news connected to the church, you would say, oh no, there's these big ministries and, and these failures and people resigning and, and all of that. So, you know, if the church is supposed to be so victorious, why then all of this, this other stuff that seems to happen? Well, I, I believe God is giving us some answers to those kinds of questions from his word. And there is a, uh, a, there's a great chapter, and it's, it's, it's beautiful, just a few verses. That's one of, the, one of the, the, the passages of scripture that encapsulates what victory is supposed to look like in the life of a believer. It's supposed to look like something. And Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, kind of describe that. And here's what it says. Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree. Planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also, also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now, I love this. I love this passage, you know, because it describes to us what someone who is walking in the victory that God provides looks like. What, does, what do they look like? What does this person really look like? First, I know this doesn't sound very flattering to anybody, but boy, is it quite a compliment coming from God. Those who are walking victoriously, first, they look like a tree. They look like a tree. You say, why is that significant? Because trees, under all kinds of environmental influence, tend to stand when they are well-nourished. 
I was just driving back from, from Tennessee, and you know, just a few weeks ago, there was a big swath of tornadoes, a big swath of weather that swept through almost the whole East Coast, and driving down 75, here, here's what you see, broken trees and trees and, and all kinds of crews who are still trying to clean up from when we were, we were actually in Tennessee, when that windstorm came through, we were there with the young people, and there are all kinds of trees down on the highways, and they're still, still kind of falling. And, 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 and here's what I want you to understand. Here's what I saw on the highway that I needed to communicate it to all of you. There were more trees still standing than had fallen. And I'm here to tell you today that in the church, no matter what you're watching on your streaming device or news channel that you're listening to, there are more standing in the church than are falling. Why? Because God is nourishing the body of Christ and he wants you to live in victory. He wants you to live in victory over the culture and over the circumstances of life that seem to be assailing against you. What do they look like? They look like a tree planted by the river. Here's what else they look like. They bear fruit on time in their season. They're bearing fruit. Their lives, if you're living victoriously, you're producing something. You're producing what you were made to produce. Then, I love this, their leaves don't wither. That's Psalm 1. Their leaves don't wither. Well, this word wither in Hebrew, it means disgrace. It says their leaves are not disgraced. It means this, the far reaches of their life, the everyday part of your life will be what? Full of God's undeserved favor. Man, that's what it looks like to live in victory. Me and my son, uh, uh, Aiden, we, were, we flew up to Tennessee just a couple of days ago helping my mom. She's finally leaving Tennessee and coming to the promised land of Florida, buying a house right down the street. You know, it's, it's true. It's true. It's true. Although I, I, do, like, I do like that area. Uh, and so she's coming. So we went up to help out and do some common things. And so we did, uh, you know, we, we weren't going to fly first class, okay? We were just going to fly no class, okay? That's what we were going to fly. We didn't choose our seats. We didn't pay for bags. We didn't do nothing. If they could sneak us into cargo, that would have been the ticket that we flew up on, okay? And so we're not choosing seats. We're not doing anything. We're not paying an extra penny, not for ice in our water, whatever they want to charge for. You know, we're not, we're not doing it. We're going on the cheap. So they picked our seats way in the back, row 30. There's 31 rows, row 30. God bless you. I was just glad that this plane had a, had a door in the back. I'm like, oh, hallelujah. This is kind of like reverse first class. They keep all the really, really low class people in the way back. Okay, they're going to open the door and we're going to come right through. But I love this because here we are, we're, we're just coming into these seats way in the back, this little roller coaster ride for an hour and 20 minutes in the way back of the plane. And and, uh, and we're, we're just setting down our bags, and I hear a familiar, uh, uh, a familiar tone in a voice. It was really Southern, but uniquely Southern. And this, girl's, this girl who was sitting in the last row right behind me says, well, I'm from a little town called Wise, Virginia. And I'm like, what? I didn't ask that question. She's telling it to somebody else. Well, you know where Pastor Corey is from? Do you know where we're doing summer, summer camp where there's going to be a mighty revival? Wise Virginia. And I'm like, 
what in the world? And then when me and my son, we just look at her, we're like, what? She's from Wise, Virginia. I said, did you say you're from Wise, Virginia? She goes, yes, I'm from Wise, Virginia. I said, well, you're not going to believe this. And I, I said, my son-in-law's from Wise, Virginia. I said, and we're coming to do a revival in Wise, Virginia this summer. And, and all of a sudden, when we were just trying to get the cheapest seats, I mean, well, not first class, low class. We booked low class. We just thought we were trying to save some money. The farthest reaches, listen, the farthest reaches of your life get filled with grace. Before we knew it, there was people, there were people crying in that seat, getting prayed for and ministered to. This one now says, man, I can't wait. I'm bringing my boyfriend. Turned out her boyfriend grew up just a couple doors down from Corey. I'm telling you what in the world. When she said, when she said, who is this? She goes, I remember him. He played sports. I said, yeah. And she's like, she messaged her boyfriend. He's like, and my boyfriend was his neighbor. I'm like, this is God. You see, listen to me. Listen to me. This is what it looks like when the far reaches of your life start getting filled up with God's grace. You just think, I'm just going to help. I, I, I'm just going to go help my mom move some things. I'm going to go help with some practical things. But sometimes on the way, God will fill up common areas full of grace. And suddenly people are being ministered to. People are being prayed for. And I'm beginning to even prophesy to a woman uh, you know, that was sitting right next to her. I'm telling you, God's victory in your life, it'll fill up the common areas of your life. Full of God's undeserved favor. We couldn't have earned that and we couldn't have even planned it. And then it says this. They prosper. This is what victorious, this is what victorious, they prosper. They prosper. What does that mean? This word prosper, it means they move forward. They break out. They're not living under the, the, the curse of repeating some sin cycle that's been in their family for generations. No, I'm going to prosper. I'm going to break out of that sin cycle. I'm going to break out of that holding pattern. I'm going to step into what God has for me. It's a pathway of victory. This is what it looks like. But what's the real key to unlocking this truth? In Psalm 1... There's really one key. There's one reason why this tree, why this person experiences this. Here it is. It's the river of God's presence. It's the river. If the tree wasn't planted by the river, it would have never flourished. But because it was, it flourished in every season. It was planted by the river of his presence. Now, I'm going to take you all the way to the very end of the book. Revelation chapter 22, and you'll learn some things about the river of God, the presence of God. What causes us to flourish is the river. Well, when you look in Revelation chapter 2, you'll see a lot of similarities to Psalm chapter 1. Notice what it says, Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. All right, there it is, the river. As, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Where is it flowing? Down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. There were, there were these living trees bearing 12 crops of fruit. Right on time, by the way. 
Doesn't this sound familiar? Yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves, here's the leaves brought up again, are for the healing of the nations. Now, where is the river flowing? Does it look like something, uh, you know, does it look like the Withlacoochee? Muddy? Tannic? Dark? No. The river in heaven flows down streets that God paved with gold. He paves the streets in gold and the streets, which, by the way, now we all, we all drive on streets. Back then, streets mostly were pathways for walking. They were the place that people were meant to walk. And so down Main Street in heaven, this place everyone was supposed to walk, is the presence of God, the river of God. What I am here to announce to you, church, is that God wants to bring us into a great place of victory, a great place of overcoming, and you experience that grace when you walk in the streets that God has already paved for you and I believe with all of my heart that these pathways are filled with God's presence they lead to the throne and they flow away from the throne and I believe God has paved this path to intimacy with him and fruitfulness in the kingdom now notice there's a street name in Psalm 1. Did you catch the street name of the paved path of presence? Probably not. You just read it like the rest of us. The name of the street, the paved path of God's presence, is meditation in Psalm 1. It says, it says he delights in the law of the Lord, and on it he what? He meditates day and night. Now, we don't know that much about meditation. Matter of fact, the church overall, the only thing we know about meditation comes from Rafiki. Somebody like, who is Rafiki? Famous African preacher in The Lion King. <laughs> he says, you know my father? Correction. I know your father. And he's in his meditative stance. So what do we do? We're like, oh man, we're getting rid of that. We're That's just weird stuff. Meditation. And so what happens is, we, we, we think, well, man, all I've heard about meditation comes from Eastern mysticism and Buddhism. And so, man, I'm, I'm just going to throw that away. And yet, in one of the greatest chapters about victory in the life of a believer, it's the street mentioned that God says, I'll put my presence in and I'll bring you into victory through it if you'll use it, if you'll walk in it. But we've, we've said, well, meditation you see, Eastern meditation is vastly different than biblical meditation. Eastern meditation suggests the emptying of the mind, which evidently our culture is really into. Because <laughs> our culture has embraced all kinds of 
stupid. Just real stupid stuff. I mean, when your kids come to you and say, I'm no longer a human, I'm a squid. And they say, oh, good. A squid. You're a squid. No. That's when I say, give me your devices. You're about to be homeschooled. Something's broke. Something is completely broken. <laughs> what have we been doing as a coach? We just emptied our minds. Whatever comes into our mind, whatever I feel, whatever the way the wind blows, that's what we'll do. I empty my mind and boom. So what do we do as a church? We just throw away meditation. And yet biblical meditation is what? It is the filling of the mind based upon God's thoughts. It's not the emptying of your mind. It's saying, oh God, I just want to take one of those thoughts, one of those nuggets. Perhaps you'll hear one today and it'll strike you in the heart. You need to write that down and say, oh, later God. I want to I wanna meditate. You say, what is it really to meditate? Meditate uh, in the Hebrew is this word hagar. It's, it, the best picture uh, comes, comes from uh, raising cattle, ruminating animals with multiple stomachs who eat something and they take it in. And then later on, they're not, they're not eating anything from the ground, but you find them chewing again. What has happened is, is something that they brought in has now come back up in the mouth, and they're chewing it again. And they're getting all of the nutrients that they didn't get out the first time, and they take it down. And perhaps that process happens two or three different times. And see, sometimes you don't need to race through your Bible reading. You don't need to race through your prayer times. You just need one thought. You just need one idea and say, God, I want all the nutrients that you could possibly give me out of this. I don't need to understand every passage, every scripture, have them all memorized. Oh, but God, if I could get the one down that you are speaking to me, if I could just be nourished by it, if I could fill my mind with it, then what's going to happen? I'm going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water, and I'm going to flourish, and I'm going to prosper, and I'm going to see the grace of God bring me into victory that's what God is calling us to now this biblical discipline has almost been forgotten and as a result few believers today actually have the lives promised in Psalm 1 we read it and we go oh well I don't have that I think what we have done in the church is we've raised a bunch of flex tape Christians. Like you, 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 you saw an infomercial. I mean, y'all know flex tape, right? You probably got some at your house. Did you know you could cut a boat in half? <laughs> and with only flex tape. Put it back together and go for a ride. Did you know that? Did you believe it? Some of you did because you went and bought the mess. (laughs) 
And mostly, we're not thinking about cutting boats in half and going out for a ride on a boat put together by flex tape. Here's what we're thinking about. Oh, when the crack in the pipe takes place, man, instead of the costly measures of calling out a plumber, of calling out somebody and doing something that is going to cost me something, it's going to cost me time, it's going to cost me money to do it right, I'm just going to flex tape it. Ask any plumber, flex tape is not a long-term solution. And what we've done in the church many times is, is we, we just have a level of brokenness. And so, well, uh, all right, I just need to get the pastor to pray for me again. Come on, just slap a little flex tape prayer on me, a little flex tape deliverance on me. I'm leaking again, pastor. I'm leaking and I'm broken. Your prayers aren't working. No, the problem is, is you haven't been walking in the well-paved streets of God's presence where his grace will show up and you will experience the costly grace he paid for on the cross which will bring you into transformative victory. By the way, I believe in instantaneous deliverance. If you need healing, you you should come. Oh, I believe in the power of God manifesting in a moment. But listen, that's not the complete answer. That will be the genesis of a journey with you. God's power will initiate that. God will initiate that work. And then you sustain it by walking in the streets of his presence. He makes them streets and fills them with his presence. This one in Psalm 1 is named meditation. Let me say this. The desperate need in our culture today is not for a greater number of intelligent people in the church. It's not uh, that there is a, a greater need for more gifted people in the church. But there is a great need for deep people in the church. There is a great people, a need for people who have said, God, I'm going beyond the surface. I'm going deeper with you. And if there is a river for me to walk in uh, filled with your undeserved favor and your presence and your grace that will lead to my transformation, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Now, some of these ancient practices and these ancient paths, they position us to to encounter God. Uh, It's occasionally called like the Christian disciplines. It's the things that we we do. And usually when you hear that word discipline, you're thinking, oh, man, I'm in trouble again. But what you need to think of is the training that that it takes to, to overcome an adversary. A discipline is something that you do repeatedly and you become very proficient in it. Now, within the Christian walk, there are internal disciplines, there are, there are external disciplines, there's one that, that you can only do, it's just you and God, there are external ones, that's things that you do that other people can see, but then there's also corporate ones, corporate disciplines, there's things that you do together with other brothers and sisters, that all, they're all streets God made for us. He fills them with his presence and grace. And it is there that we are changed. You say, what's an internal discipline? Well, we mentioned meditation. How about prayer? You know, most times we don't even realize that that there is an internal war until we experience something negative like anxiety, worry, 
mental health. We're experiencing these issues, and then suddenly we, we realize as we get a little bit older, man, these things are they're affecting my physical health. My mental health is expected, it, it affecting me. This anxiety, this worry, this thing that's assailing against it's affecting me physically. So how do I deal with what's going on, on the inside? Could it be that God created a street that was filled with his presence that would lead you in to victory over anxiety? Well, it turns out that Philippians says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. What's he saying? Oh, there's a paved path of an internal street called prayer that will lead you into victory over anxiety and worry. There are others, external ones like simplicity. As I mentioned, we're helping, we were helping my mother uh, move and, and she's got some movers, thank God, because when I went in and saw all the boxes, I thought to myself, Ooh, I would have a deliverance service right now. I would cast some things out directly into dumpsters. But she can have whatever she wants to have, okay? All I'm saying is that there, there is an external discipline of living in simplicity that you choose to live simply. And as a result, you're not burdened down by many of the cares that culture say you're supposed to be burdened down with. I'm not trying to keep up with my neighbors. Why? Because I have an external discipline of simplicity. We'll talk more about these. Service. Did you know that people have, have actually served others and as a result healed their own mental health? That many people have said, man, I've, I've been striving. I've been doing something. Well, why don't you go and find somebody who needs some help? This may not be all the answers, but it's one of the streets that God highlights within the scriptures that when I walk in it, there's a grace that comes to me. There's a presence on that street of service. So guess what? If you say, well, you know, I, I'm just not going to serve people. I'll, I'll pray and I'll do this. There are blessings on every street that are reserved only for those streets. And God says, I pour out that river. It's flowing down the main street, but it flows down all these other streets, these paved pathways. And these are how we change. And by the way, they're not only internal and personally external, but there are corporate disciplines. One of them is worship. The Bible clearly calls all of us to worship together. Did you know that something powerful happens in a room when people choose to worship God together? There was a time when Elisha needed a word from heaven. He needed direction. And Elisha, this prophet who knew the voice of God, had seen the miracles of God, had seen all kinds of good things happen. When he needed a word from God, he said this, bring me a musician. 
And when the musician began to worship and they begin to worship, suddenly the gift that was in him was activated. I'm here to tell you that some of you are flourishing in the things of God because you have chosen to make worshiping with your brothers and sisters a priority. Because when you do, the gifts in you get activated and the solutions that other people need will start to flow out of who you are. But listen, it only gets activated when you walk in the street. There are many more. And those are just, that's just the beginning of some of these pathways that are full of God's presence that lead to fruitfulness. Can, but let's really ask ourselves, why don't we do these things? I mean, after all, We've heard about some of these things uh, for a long time. We know about them, but why don't we? Perhaps maybe your answer uh, about why you don't do some of these things is like, man, I, I, I think that's for the, the hyper-spiritual. And that's just for hyper-spiritual people. That's not for me. You know, those people, you know, they say they can hear God. I can, ha I can barely hear my phone. You know, I'm just a normal person. I'm, I'm here to tell you, all of us who are born again, who are on our way to heaven, are meant to hear from God. We're meant to experience Him. We're meant to be saved by His grace through faith, filled with His Spirit, activated and flowing in the things that God has called us to. But, so don't, don't think yourself as needing to be some hyper-spiritual person, you know, as needing some ministry in order to function in these paved pathways. All you need is a walk with God. Secondly, here's, here's the real one. We think they're dull. These paved pathways, you're talking about prayer, you're talking about worship, we think it's dull. I'm here to tell you it's not dull. We do, we do daily prayer here, and I will tell you sometimes prayer is work. It's work. Getting up, getting ready, saying, God, what are you saying? Preparing some things, preparing songs, preparing and getting things ready for broadcast the way that we do it. You don't have to do it our way. But some people say, well, you know, why would I go to that? Prayer is dull. I'm here to tell you that is the exact opposite of what the word says. Psalm 1611 says, you show me the path of life. Your presence, in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures evermore. There are some times in prayer when it feels like we're working, oh, Oh, but there's other times when we call on his name and a wind blows in this place and it doesn't feel like we're working. We're just rejoicing. We're just rejoicing. And some of the things that you're experiencing this morning are a direct result of what people do in the hiddenness of daily prayer. I'm here to tell you it's not dull when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords comes in the room. It's not dull at all when you start walking in these things and you experience his grace. Sometimes this one is real. We, we question our ability to reach beyond the physical world. Like, could I really make an impact? Like, will my prayers make a difference? Will my song make a difference? Will my service make a difference? Will my devotion to the Lord make a difference? And I'm here to tell you, listen, don't look at what is seen. Don't keep your eyes on what is seen. 
2 Corinthians 4, 18 says, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Listen, you don't need to think to yourself, man, well, okay, I went to church. Let's get back to the real world. I'm telling you, you have just stepped into the rarefied era of the real world where the presence of God is abiding and moving and inspiring and filling and renewing. This is the real world. That out there is a fallen world. Who needs what is in the inside of you? And you can, you're made for it. I think the last one is probably the most legitimate. We just say, I don't know how. I don't know how to take these pathways you're talking about, Pastor Honest. I don't know how. I don't know how to legitimately, in this road that God has paved, How do I really do these? Well, we want to help you with that. We want to help you. Why? Because God wants every one of you walking victoriously. He wants every one of us walking victoriously. And here's the number one, the number one benefit of taking any of these paths that God has made that's full of his presence. Here's the number one benefit. It's victory over sin. Number one by far. By the way, when you get born again, yes, the penalty for sin is paid for. You're on your way to heaven. But how many of you know God's still working on some stuff? Oh, I'm glad I got more witnesses in this service than last service. Evidently, they were the, I was the only one still in need of prayer. I almost called an altar call and answered it, okay? I, 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 I just felt to myself, I was like, Lord, am I alone in this place? No, I'm not. Why? Because there's still a process going on in me where the victory that he has provided, I'm walking out. Sin is not only an act, it's a condition that leads to slavery. So don't just think it's an act, it's a condition. But I've got good news. If you were born again, now you're gonna, this is going to take away an excuse. I heard this a long time ago in a sales book. Excuses rob you of power. Excuses rob you of power. You're about to be robbed of a religious excuse. Here it is. Here's the religious excuse. We're all just sinners. I'm about to rob you of that excuse. Not me personally, the word of God. Romans 8, 6 says, uh, Romans 6 verse 5 says, uh, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. That means if your now life is hidden in Christ, you died with him and you got up with him. That's what that means. Listen, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Boy, I tell you what, we've got to get that down in our spirits. All we've embraced is, well, we're just sinners, so we just go right back to that same sin mud puddle that we came out of, we cleaned ourselves up and came to church, go right back to the sin mud puddle. Well, I'm here to tell you, get that excuse out. And how do you live in the victory? It's in these paths that are filled with God's presence, that he's paved, that are full of his grace. Here's the truth. Slaves to sin don't change the world for Christ. 
We disqualify ourselves from fruitfulness because of our condition. We'll say, oh man, I know pastor's talking about sharing our faith and inviting folks to church, but man, here's this issue. I still got this issue in my life. I still got this thing going on, so I'll get to fruitfulness later after I get a little better if I try a little harder. I just want to ask a couple questions here. Have you ever tried to change someone? All the women in the church smirked a little bit. How'd that work out for you? Some of you women are full of faith. You're like, oh, it's still a work in progress. I'm still trying. I hate to ruin it for you. It ain't going to work. It's not going to work. I mean, much in the same way that you know that if you tell a child over and over again, hey, don't touch the stove, it's hot. Don't touch the stove, it's hot. Don't touch the stove, it's hot. They're going to go wandering over and find the absolute hottest place they can touch and reach for it. What should this teach us? That. (laughs) Unless you can cook. (laughs) Here's what it should teach us. Frontal attacks on sin don't work. Here's what it, it should teach us that here, God calls you to fruitfulness. You see this issue and you're like, you're like Tyson Fury, right? You're like, man, I, I, I know I'm called to victory, but I, I got to fight this sin. Man, I'm going to knock it out, right? I'm going to deal with this addiction. I'm going to deal with these thoughts and I'm going to fight them and fight them and fight them and fight them. And as you're engaging in that theater, you are losing. Because sin isn't, it's not your enemy. Sin is a defeated foe. But what we have to figure out is how in the world do I deal with these deeply ingrained sin habits? Here's what, I, here's what I'm going to tell you. Willpower and determination are useless for stopping those habits. They're useless. Your willpower doesn't last. Some of y'all are paying. Here we are in April. You've been paying for that gym membership. That gym hadn't seen you since February. I bless you with that. They got your money for the whole year. Somebody else is getting your massage down at Planet Fitness. <laughs> that you paid for. Willpower and determination are useless for stopping deeply ingrained sin and habits. Listen, see, here's why. The will has the same deficiency that the law did. You see, God gave the law to the people as a tutor. And the tutor was what? It was this external pressure. That was to lead us to something, the cross. 
the manifestation of the Son of God who would die on the cross, be buried and raised from the dead so that his spirit wouldn't only rest on prophets, priests, and kings, but his spirit could now come on all who place faith in him. And now he can take out the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh. You see, the external pressure doesn't work for change. We need an inner transformation and God is the only one that can change us from the inside out. He's the only one. And God has given us these pathways, these disciplines of the spiritual life as a means of receiving his grace. They allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. Galatians 6 says this. It says, For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. Look at this. Galatians 6. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. He said, so so how do I get this life flowing? How do I get this victory activated in my life so it legitimately begins to work in my life? Here's how you do it. You begin to sow to the Spirit. Now that's a farming term. And a lot of us aren't farmers anymore. So we've actually forgotten what farmers do. You know, farmers don't grow anything. Farmers don't grow things. You know what farmers do? Farmers prepare the land. Farmers prepare an atmosphere for something to get planted in. So farmers, they will check the pH of the ground. It's got to be just right, and it just needs just the amount of water, and it needs to be just in the right season. And, and for, depending on what you're trying to grow, maybe it needs a little more shade or a little more sun. And all the farmer is doing is saying, I've got to prepare this land for the seed to get planted here. And listen, the, the, Jesus said, the farmer plants the seed and he doesn't even know how it grows, but when he comes back, it's growing. And here's my point, is that sometimes what you and I need to do is step in and get planted in the atmosphere that God has provided for growth. And for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the methods that God uses to get you in the ground. He wants to get you in the ground. Now, let me say this because I, I know probably all, all, all this sermon, you're, you're hearing about the stuff that we do, the stuff that we do, this pathway that we walk in, that's a choice that we make. Listen, may, just so there's, we're very clear. God's grace is unearned and unearnable. You can't earn God's undeserved favor. You can't. He gives it to us because he loves us. However, if we ever expect to grow in grace, we have to pay the price of consciously choosing the course of action which involves both individual life and our group life in Christ. 
And spiritual growth and fruitfulness are the byproducts of these pathways in victory. You say, Pastor, why are you talking about the victory that comes from God's presence? Here's why. Because there's a lot of people outside these walls in this community who are enslaved today. Who are broken today. Who are embittered today. Who perhaps, uh, you know, maybe they, maybe they came to church once or twice and they never really experienced the fullness of everything that God had for them. And they walked away and, and they, they really felt mistreated or overlooked. And I'm telling you, what is needed in this community is for a whole bunch of people to say, God, we're going to position ourselves before you through prayer and meditation and study. And we're going to position ourselves in worship. We're going to position ourselves in service and and simplicity. And as we position ourselves, your grace is going to come and change us. Your grace is going to come and renew us. And as a result, we're going to walk out these doors and see the fruit of change in this region. That is why we're talking about the victory that comes from the streets that God has already paved and filled with his presence. It's by his grace. It's by his grace that we change. We're not changed because of something we do. We're changed because we position ourselves in the way that he tells us to. In the ways described in the scripture. Imagine, if you would, that you were in the hills of Galilee when Jesus made this glorious declaration in Matthew chapter 9. You were in the crowd, just like you are today. Seeing this, this, this wonderful rabbi who is bringing truth to another level who is seeing signs and wonders happen all around him. Imagine you're in the crowd like you are today. And Jesus comes to your city, your village. This is what he says he said that day. He was teaching in their synagogues. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. If you had heard Jesus utter these words, would you have immediately thought, Lord, I'm ready? Or would you have thought, oh gosh, I'm not. Oh, I have this thing to do. I have this thing to fix. I've got this thing to work on. I've got this thing to add in. Let me just tell you, you probably thought the same things when you heard it today. The idea that God wants to send you out into your jobs, into your schools as a laborer to bring in the harvest. And you say, oh yeah, if you only knew. Well, I want to say to you, I want every one of you to be able to answer this question that God, I want to help in your harvest field. God, I want to help put my hands 
to what you want to do in life. And I want to be positioned in a way that you have so transformed me that people no longer see me, they see you. And that happens through these well-paved roads filled with the river of God. They lead you to his throne, but then that river is flowing from his throne. So it'll lead you right to his presence, but then it sends you back out into that harvest field. All the while, God doing new things in you, new levels of victory in you. But this is the great thing. There are new levels of fruitfulness that come through you right on time. Church, this region needs you to walk in the victory that is in Christ. And I want to say your family needs you. Your schools need you. Whatever area of influence, they need you and the grace that's on your life to manifest. But it happens as we say, okay, God. I haven't been able to change myself. I'm going to position myself before you and allow you to change me.